morning, everyone. And thank you, Nathaniel. Quick survey. If you know anything or something about the man in the Bible called Jason, can you please put your hand up? Wow. Okay, let's do another little competition. I'm going to ask you, is he in the Old Testament or is he in the New Testament? You've got to choose one, okay? So, and everybody's got to choose one and stick your hand up when I ask, okay? So if you think Jason was in the Old Testament, hand up. Peer pressure, look at this. People are looking around to go, <laughs> right? If you think he's New Testament, hands up. Yeah, you're, you're right. Do you know, Jason... Uh, is one of the lesser known Bible characters. I'm, I'm not that surprised that actually very few, in fact, nobody put their hand up as to knowing anything about Jason. Uh, he's not one of the big names. He doesn't tend to feature very often in people's thinking or in their recollection of the Christian faith and Christian story. And yet, Jason played an important part in the spread of Christianity and the growth of the early church. In fact, without Jason... Who knows what might have happened to two of the more high-profile Bible characters, Paul and Silas. Jason is an unsung hero. And, and during the summer, and I know Jackie White started this last Sunday by looking at Miriam, but during the summer we're doing a short series looking at some of the more obscure men and women of the Bible, those who made a significant contribution, yet they kind of remain under the radar. And we're doing this for three reasons. One, I want to honor them. Two, I want to raise their profile a bit so that the next time you get asked, does anyone know anything about Jason? Everybody can stick their hand up. Three, I want to make the point that ordinary and often overlooked people make a difference. Ordinary, often overlooked people can and do make a real difference. Now, one slight aside about Jason before we read his story. In the Catholic and the Orthodox traditions, Jason has been made a saint. He's been venerated, he's been honored as a saint. And in the Catholic tradition, today, and I love the irony of this, today, the 12th of July, is Jason's feast day. That is brilliant. I did not know that when I was planning this series, but I love the fact that it is. It just pleases me no end. So let's move on. If you have a Bible, can you turn to Acts chapter 17? It's verse 1113 in the Pew Bibles. Many of you will know that for the past five months, we as a church have been working our way through Acts. Hopefully, some of you will know that this is a chapter we skipped, uh, and so it's great that we're able to pick it up again. Here is Jason's story, and apart from one other passing reference to him in Romans chapter 16, this is the only time you will read about Jason in the Bible. So, as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's often surprising word. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. 
But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. Please take a seat. So it appears that Jason ran some kind of Christian community guest house in a place called Thessalonica, where Paul and Silas have stopped over for a few weeks during one of their so-called missionary journeys. Paul and Silas, a little bit of background, they've come from Philippi. In Philippi, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, but not derailed and not deflected from their defense and their intention to share the good news of Jesus. And so they left Philippi, and they had arrived in this big, bustling Greek city that had something like 200,000 inhabitants, and Paul and Silas had checked in to Jason's accommodation. And Paul and Silas were doing what they often did. They were just going around reasoning with people, discussing with people, debating with people about Jesus. And they were using the scriptures, it says. They were using God's word not only as their source, but also their reference point to help people to realize, listen, this Jesus did have to die. This Jesus did have to suffer. This Jesus did have to rise again. This Jesus was the Messiah. He's the one everyone's been waiting on. He's the one who had come to rescue them. He's the one the Old Testament prophecies had talked about and referred to. And although this Jesus may not be exactly what you were expecting or who you were expecting, he definitely is the anointed one. He definitely is the Christ. He definitely is your Messiah. And as Paul and Silas presented this Jesus and as they exalted this Jesus, we read that many people responded from all kinds of different backgrounds and also positions of influence. Some prominent women responded positively. They embraced this message. They became followers. They became Christians. They joined Paul and Silas. But as is often the case, whenever Jesus is talked about or preached or discussed, there are others who don't react so well. And so some others, it says, get annoyed and upset to the point where they organize a lynch mob. They rent a crowd of thugs. They spark off a city-wide riot. Don't, don't miss the extent of this. Remember, this is a city of 200,000 inhabitants. They spark a city-wide rat, and then they go to attack Jason's house. They go to where Paul and Silas were staying, Jason's B&B. And the problem is they don't find Paul and Silas. Now, the text doesn't tell us why they didn't find them. Either they weren't in or they were brilliantly hidden. But whatever was the reason, the hit squad don't get them. And so what do they do? They drag Jason out. 
along with some of the other believers. They drag him out of his own house and they drag him off to stand trial before the magistrates, before the rulers, before the authorities. Frightening experience. Jason takes the brunt of the mob's anger. Jason's accused of providing a safe house for these believers. He's clearly supportive of their message. He's clearly supportive of their mission. And therefore, he's forced, it says, to hand over an amount of money as bail, as a guarantee before he is released. It all seems a bit extreme. And yet, Jason is willing to pay it. He's willing to take the hit because he believes in what Paul and Silas are doing. He does what he believes is right despite the kickback and the implications. And look again at verses 10 to 12, which we didn't read, because here's the result of him taking a hit. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Bera. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews, who were of noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul was saying was true. As a result, many of the Bereans believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Here's the point, or here's a point. As a result of Jason doing the right thing, the difficult thing, the brave thing, Paul and Silas were able to get away to Bera really quickly. And as a result of them getting to Bera really quickly, as a result of Jason doing the right thing, being dragged out of his own house, being taken off to magistrates, paying an amount of bail money, as a result of him doing that, taking the hit, doing the right thing, Paul and Silas were able to go and share the gospel in another place. And as a result, many more people believed and came to faith. Jason is a prime example of someone who did the right thing despite the cost. Someone who was prepared to make sacrifices and live out their faith even though their backs were against the wall. And that in itself is, is a massive lesson to learn and a challenge to face because as Christians, many of us will find ourselves in similar situations. We're doing the right thing is not going to be easy. Doing the right thing is not going to come naturally. It's going to cost us. There's going to be a high price to pay for what we believe God wants us to do, for what we believe Jesus teaches us to do. And the question is, are we prepared to live like this rather unknown biblical character in the narrative? Are we prepared when it really matters, when our backs are against the wall, are we prepared to live out what we believe? Jason should be honored. Jason should be copied. He is an unsung hero of the Christian faith. But above, over and above the example that he sets of doing the right thing despite the cost, let me look again at what Jason was actually part of. What was it that fueled his sacrifice? What was it that led him to be prepared to pay a high price? And to do this, I want to read again verses 6 and 7. Only this time I want to read them from the ESV or the RSV or the King James or the New King James Version. 
because both of these verses in those versions capture what was going on far better than the NIV or the New Living Translation or, or any of those more modern ones. Here is why Paul and Silas were a problem. Here's what Jason was part of. Here's what Jason believed in. Here is why Jason was prepared to do the right thing. Let me read it to you. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another King Jesus. Do you know, those two accusations were meant to be highly damaging and toxic. And yet, take a step back and realize that those are two of the most positive compliments you could ever pay any Christian or any church. They were turning the world upside down and they were declaring Jesus as king. And for each of us who are Christians here this morning, for us as a local 21st century church, this should be our desire. This should be our aim. This should be our end. This should be the kind of reputation we seek. They are turning the world upside down and they're declaring Jesus as king. One of, uh, according to William Barclay, 20th century Scottish theologian, author, radio and TV presenter, he said the first accusation that we're turning the world upside down was the greatest compliment ever paid to a group of Christians. One of my uh, favorite songs by one of my favorite artists is Waiting for the World to Change by John Mayer. The lyrics include these words. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. And so we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. And you know, sometimes I wonder, is that actually how we really feel? As Christians and as churches, we look around at the state of our world, the state of our society, the state of our community, and we don't actually believe we can make a difference. We don't feel we've got what it takes to impact situations and conditions and accepted norms from people's lives. We don't have, we feel it, we don't have the means to rise up and beat it. And so we're waiting. We're waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for somebody else to step up. We're waiting for someone else to start a revolution. And yet, when you read the story of the early church, you read about people like Jason who weren't prepared to wait. People who took risks, people who stepped outside of their comfort zones, well outside of them. People who believed there was a better way, who did the right thing despite the cost, despite the price involved. And as a result, they turned, or certainly they were accused of turning the world upside down. Although some of them might have argued that what they were actually doing was turning the world the right way up. This is what they were really doing. They were turning the world the right way up, the way it was intended to be, the way God created it to be. But Paul and Silas, household names, and Jason, an unsung hero, were intent on making a difference for God and for the good of others. These have turned the world upside down. 
And as I was thinking about this and I was reading around it for this morning, I became aware that for two millennia, for 2,000 years, there have been many, many countless Christians, churches, and organizations who have not only sought to, but have made a significant contribution to our world, who have turned our world upside down on a grand scale and also at a very simple yet profound level. Christians who have campaigned to bring an end to injustice. Christians who continue to speak up for those who have no voices. Organizations who have done all they can in the name of Jesus to alleviate poverty and suffering. Churches who have served their communities. Families who have opened their homes. People who have drawn alongside. Individuals who have offered a helping hand or a shoulder to cry on. And some of those people and some of those organizations and some of those churches are well known. Others are virtually unknown. And yet their input, the part they have played and do play is enormous in God's eyes and in eternal terms. One of my favorite films of all time is Gladiator, starring Russell Crowe, bit of a classic. But surely the most unforgettable line in that movie is this. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. Do you know there are many times that whenever we do things, they will go unseen, unrecognized, unappreciated. They'll never be noticed. They'll never be profiled. They'll maybe never even be acknowledged. And yet, God sees and eternity will remember. And it is our calling and it is our challenge to turn this world upside down. That should be the desire of every single follower of Jesus Christ who's here this morning. I want to make a difference. I want to see things change. I want to see this world turned upside down. I want to see my world turned upside down. Or I want to see it turned the right way up. But how do we actually do it? It's great talking about big phrases like, let's turn the world upside down, and people are going, yeah, great, we're all on board, but like, what do we actually do? Well, at the heart of this is what is at the heart of this text. It's a belief and a declaration that Jesus is king. And a strong, passionate, committed willingness to live in light of that fact. That's what it means to turn the world upside down, to declare Jesus as king and to live out Jesus' kingdom values. So what are Jesus' kingdom values? How do we turn the world upside down? You love your enemy. You pray for those who persecute you. You forgive those who sin against you. You turn the other cheek. You walk the extra mile. You combat lust. You curb your anger. You speak truth. You don't judge. You don't focus on the temporary, but fix your eyes on the invisible, the eternal. And whenever we live kingdom values, whenever we live as if Jesus is king, we will turn this world upside down. You go out onto these streets today or tomorrow and you love and speak truth 
and don't judge and turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Pray for, forgive. That's what changes things. That's what turns this world upside down. Back to the John Mayer song. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. Well, actually, as Christians, we do. We have Jesus. The light of the world, the hope of the world, the king of the world. I need to finish, because we always try to aim to finish these summer services within the hour. Before you came to church this morning, you clearly didn't know much about Jason. But as you leave here in a few minutes, I hope you won't forget this unsung hero who did the right thing despite the cost, who played his part in turning his world, the world, upside down, and who was part of a community of people who declared Jesus as king and lived out kingdom values. And may we as individuals and as a church go from here and do likewise.